the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. back to another episode of Rapid Results. Today, we are hosting the lovely Holly Shannon tuning in from Washington, D.C. And for those who don't know who this person Holly is, she is a self-professed Swiss army knife. She's a three-time entrepreneur, five-star hospitality leader. She's a self-taught jewelry designer. Um, She's done brand collaborations with Rachel Ray, Rokaware, MTV, And she now produces Culture Factor, which is ranked top 2% globally out of over 2.8 million podcasts heard in over 95 countries. And she has over 12,000 followers on social media. She has spoken at South by Southwest, PodFest, NFT, NYC, and she's been featured on numerous podcasts as a guest. And she is the author of the Zero to Podcast book, a number one Amazon hot new release and top 10 Amazon bestseller. And on top of all of that, no, apparently, apparently I lost Holly somehow. <laughs> well, that, that happens. All right. So we'll see if Holly's able to come back here while we get situated. Oh, I'm here. there she is. I am here. Did you not hear me? Because I tried to call out. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. I heard here. the intro, though. I did hear the intro, everybody. Okay, good. Um so we're going to begin the show by, uh, oh, and also forgot to mention, Holly and I actually met on a karaoke boat in Tampa, uh, Orlando. We were both having fun. We're like, oh my gosh, we got to hang out. So we did. Met in DC and now here she is on the Rapid Results show. And so with that said, Holly, tell us what's the most badass thing you're proud of? Most badass thing. All right. So writing, I think I lost you. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. So writing my book was pretty badass because I thought I was going to lose the show and decided to put together like a little how-to guide for myself so that I could like create more of them. So I thought that was pretty badass, but probably one of the things I'm most proud about, which is sort of like a story I don't talk about too often. Back when I worked in hospitality, I worked for a little boutique hotel that was five-star, five-diamond Relay and Chateau, super high-end, super bougie, but really cool place now owned by Aubert's Resorts. But my client at the time, one of them was Harry Winston Jewelers, who you see like at the Met Gala that just aired and you see on the red carpet everywhere, the Grammy Awards, whatever. And they were one of my clients. And at the end of their meeting, the CEO and all of the people involved there invited me in at the close of their meeting and actually held me up in the front of the room, like how you do five-star with your clients, like how you create good connections, good relationships, and take care of your client. And then they invited me to their studio on Fifth Avenue in New York, and they gave me a private tour and allowed me to try on anything I wanted in the store, like millions of dollars worth of diamonds were like dripping off of my hands and my neck. And I got to see the studio where 
their designer drew all of the work by hand and it was a pretty epic experience. So that was my badass moment. Oh, that is amazing. Oh my gosh. And you're telling me they didn't let you uh, keep any of the diamonds as an extra thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they did have a bouncer at the door. It was a little bigger than me. I didn't want to mess with them. <laughs> oh, it, it happens. It happens. Well, yeah, this is super awesome. You know, being an author and for those who haven't checked it out yet, the Zero to Podcast is an incredible book So, def- and people can get it on Amazon, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and on your websites. So tell us about starting a podcast and immediately being top 2% in the world. Tell us about that journey, how you got there, how you went about that. How do you become that amazing so quickly? Well, thank you. It's I think part of it is just uh, trying different things and seeing what works. I would say, actually, I almost made a mistake in the beginning because my social media outreach was too extensive. So I had uh, a page for Culture Factor for the podcast and a page for Holly Shannon, who I guess you would say is, you know, the brand, if you will. And I had two pages on everything, (laughs) Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and I was exhausted from posting. And I think what got me further faster, what got me those rapid results was actually dialing back and taking like the Marie Kondo approach to social media and choosing to only brand as myself on the one page and to also work within sites that gave me joy, that I enjoyed interacting with other people and engaging in their content and building out communities on those. So I think that's what built it up that way. And also staying true to what my content was about and just really driving that and reaching out to people and making sure that the story stayed on point. So interesting because I know... uh you know, that's the top trap that a lot of people fall into is like, oh, if you make it, people will come. If you make a podcast, people are going to listen to it, obviously. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but like you said, um, I love that you said, no, 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 Andrew, I actually put in the work. I interacted with community members. I told people about my show. I op- openly promoted it. Um, well, the first I have a few questions around that. First question, were there any guests that stood out more than others that really helped skyrocket the growth awareness of the show? Because some people say, oh, you can grow by bringing on guests. Or some people say, oh, guests don't work. So besides interacting on social media, what else What else worked for you? I think when I was really able to connect with guests, it showed. And those were the ones that did well. And when I really connected with them, those were the ones who went out of their way to also promote I did really well. I had Kara Golden on. She's the co-founder of Hint Water. It's a $150 million business. And she's a rock star. She had a best-selling book called Undaunted. And I read it and there were so many parallels in her life to mine. And I reached out to her and we started emailing before I even had her on the show. So there was already like a connection. There were some similar experiences. So after reading her book and having that, my questions were more robust. They were more personal. They dug deeper. They weren't the questions that everybody else was asking her about her book, for example. Like there was like that same line of questioning everywhere else. But when I had her on, it wasn't. So I think, and and I asked her permission. I actually emailed her and said, look, I'm looking at these questions and um, they're more in keeping with what I'm talking about on my show. Are you open to that? Um, And and mind you, Andrew, I've rebranded the show. So I spoke for 
the first year and a half on the show about company culture and how difficult it was during COVID to keep the tribe together, right? Um, everywhere, we immediately became a work from home workforce. Um, so it was a timely podcast. Um, and I just realized that I my interests changed. So um, rather than trying to, you know, you can't really change the niche on that. So I had to really rebrand the show. And, and, you know, now I'm talking about NFTs and, and, and emerging technology and web three, but I think my audience was ready for me to grow that direction too, because I've maintained my 2% status. So either they were interested and are along for the ride, or I've maybe cultivated a new community as well. Yeah, make, makes sense. That's really cool, and you know, telling that that undaunted story um, and bringing in that that uh, high class entrepreneur. Um, what does it take to to book a guest like that? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Um, and do you always read someone's full book before bringing them on your on your show? Because um, obviously, that's a lot of dedication as a podcaster, and you get a lot of props for that. Um, I've read a lot of books. <laughs> Rashad Bakawala's yeah. book. Um, Arlen Hamilton's It's About Damn Time, Undaunted. Uh, there's probably uh, Time Off. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of books that I've read. So yes, I do in fact read the book. Um, I do a lot of deep dive research. Uh, I really spend the time getting to know. I scrape everything, LinkedIn, all the social profiles, articles they've written to understand their voice, maybe even a podcast they've been on so I don't duplicate questions. I have to admit, I, I kind of geek out over that stuff. Like it's really important to me to dive in. And I actually have been complimented by several people who have come on that said, wow, you really did your research and thanks for doing that. And these questions really allow me to go into my story better. And I've had that happen a few times and, and it was organic. Like if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear a few people have done that, especially in this NFT space, because um, I think as everybody transitions and we're talking about new emerging technology, it's important to understand what they did before and how it applies. Um, and so I make sure I do that research so that people can see their credibility in this space that, you know, bridging from web two to web three isn't like an overnight thing. So. No, hundred um, percent. And I do want to ask you about, uh, yeah, what, what made you make that shift? Making the transition to a new topic, everyone's impressed that this badass Holly is doing her research. Like, uh, you know, what my fiance Salisha, whenever someone asks her for her bio, she gets offended. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it's good that you know the importance of staying one step ahead. That, like, you know, don't give me anything because I'm going to do all my research on my own end. Um, yeah, and so, tell us what did cause you to want to shift from talking about culture, talking about NFTs and Web three and all that. What, what caused that shift for you? So the show evolved a few ways. Um, sorry, I can't, I'm getting such feedback. The show evolved because as I was talking about company culture, there were like three things that kept coming up. Mental health, because everybody was burning out. DEI, which was so important because diversity, equity, inclusion, it became apparent what was happening in the workforce even more so once everybody was work from home and the inequities of that. And the third thing was uh, great resignation and the gig economy emerged. And I didn't feel that I was equipped to dive into um, 
the burnout and mental health issues because I'm not a therapist. And I didn't feel that I could do the DEI service because I'm not in, in the HR space. So the gig economy, I understood. I'm a three-time entrepreneur. Like I know what it's like to grind and, and build something. And as I was diving in into it, it really got um, – the gig economy is about creators, right? And I was just seeing this emergence of creators in this NFT space involved in experiences and technology around Web3. And it was so relevant to the gig economy. And I just felt like I could do a lot there. Like I could really help in understanding and learning with my listeners and being able to share that information and distill it down so that other people could understand it. And as you mentioned in my bio, I am a designer. I've been a jewelry designer for the better part of 10 years and had collaborated and done a lot of different work there. So I felt like I could ask questions as a creator and an artist and as a collector of art. So I just felt well-equipped to shift to that and it's working. Have you created your own NFT arts or launches or have obviously you hear stories about people making millions of dollars off these NFT photos and profile pictures and, and designs and images? Have you personally been creating any of that or, or being part of that or more, or more uh, studying and researching it? So that is a really great question. So I'm doing a few things. So I got my ad and I got Procreate on it, which is a software you could use to create work. And I am a photographer. I'm a multimedia artist, actually. So I am working on something, but I've been so busy with the podcast that devoting the time to learning that software hasn't quite come together yet. I'm still playing a little. And I also, when I was making jewelry, I did a 3D printed collection. And so I'm trying to figure out how to go back into what I created there because you you start off with a JPEG, which is like is a photograph, and then you upload it into several layers of software. So it, it changes its designation from .jpg to like .stl, .svg. It goes through different iterations till you can get it into Tinkercad, make it 3D, and then print it. So I want to figure out how to convert what I did in 3D and make maybe wearables in the metaverse for like avatars and everything. So I'm sort of thinking about that and figuring out how to do that. And I'm also working with established NFT artist duo. It's a husband and wife team. And we're creating a culture factor NFT together that people can mint when I'm speaking at NFT NYC for free and just be a part of my community. And when they mint it, it'll be their POOP, which stands for Proof of Attendance Protocol. So that it'll show that they came, they listened, and they saw me speak, and maybe they follow the podcast. So in either way, they'll have that poet for that. So yes, I am working on all of it, and it's a lot. <laughs> that is very exciting, having a Culture Factor NFT. 
and being able to have it launched while you're speaking at NFT NYC. That, that's huge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I think yeah. it'll be really cool for, you know, very interactive and maybe I'll even have it for PodFest, but I don't know if I will. I'm going to try. We'll see. <laughs> yes. And, when, and NFT NYC, that's in June. Yeah, June 20th to the 23rd. And then hopefully maybe people, it's going to be a generative collection. So everybody will have their own identity kind of, and they can change their profile picture and represent culture factor if they want to. Oh, there we go. There we go. I love it. And what about, so you also talk about Web3 on top of NFTs as well? I'm sorry? You said you also talk about Web3 in addition to NFTs? Yeah, well, understanding the emerging technologies. So I come from the experience economy, having built events around the country and doing that for about 15 years. And experiences are what we were all craving when we go to an event, right? So I'm hopeful that as I create NFTs, I can also create utility And that's part of the whole Web3 conversation, right? Is what is the roadmap you're creating for your NFT? What utilities or perks are in place that will unlock when somebody buys your NFT? So there's a lot of emerging technology in there, and it's all part of Web3. And Web3 is also about ownership. So it's allowing people to own a piece of art that I create and make it their own. And then maybe they do something with that too. So yeah, a little bit of everything. Oh, that's awesome. And for those who don't know what NFTs are and uh, what what, uh, I know is one of the most interesting ways to explain things, I think people try to simplify it the best they could, but how would you describe what an NFT is to someone? Okay. So it's a terrible acronym and and name (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, non-fungible token. Mm -hmm. And basically it is a smart contract that lives on the blockchain. And so the blockchain is like a huge ledger, like a counting ledger with hash marks on it. So when you have an NFT, a non-fungible token, and somebody buys it, it is a peer-to-peer transaction on the blockchain. It is bound by a smart contract and it it proves provenance or ownership on the other side. Um, And it's direct. There's no middleman. So there's no gallery owner in between there. There's no um, A&R music records in between. There's nobody else taking any of that money, that, that Ethereum or whatever you're trading in. And when it's owned by the other person, they can choose to keep it. And uh, maybe it increases in value and that's important to them. Uh, or they can sell it. And when they do sell, and there's nothing wrong with selling, okay, there's a lot of flip shaming happening, but I think it's okay to sell because when you do that, uh, a percentage of it always goes back to the original artist, the person who created the NFT. So what's so beautiful about a non-fungible token is that it has a legacy model in it. You, You build royalties into it. So I think it's kind of cool. I love that. And I think I heard somewhere as well that one of the best parts about NFTs is that it really does help musicians a lot too, because 
I like the fact that if someone buys an NFT and it gets sold to person number two, if person number two decides to sell to person number three, person number one still gets paid part of that, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Andrew yeah. said it right. It's again, it's that royalties in perpetuity, it's the legacy model. I mean, think about it. An artist streams on Spotify, right? They get pennies. You know, Spotify oh. makes the money. Granted, it's a um it's a it's a place where everybody can go and find you. But you can create an NFT that maybe has bonus content. And if you can bring your community there or build one um, in, in different places like Twitter spaces or something like that, it is a direct transaction. So say, for example, you have your album on Spotify and you bring out one new release, like maybe it's just one song. And you get, you know, I don't know, 10,000 people or maybe a hundred people. Let's just be realistic for a moment. And they'll spend a dollar for your newest song. They listen to you on Spotify. They love what you do. And for the fans, for $1, they can buy the new release. It's not even on Spotify yet. Like they create exclusivity with it. So that's immediately a hundred dollars. And then when that person sells it, if they get tired of the song or whatever, the artist still gets paid, you know, whatever percentage they work in. It's not a, you know, it's not an exact dollar again, but person two, three, four, they still get compensated. So it's a, it's an interesting model. And I, I think you're right. I think in music, it's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. And tell us about an NFT NYC. We love you here. And then we'll go into talking about you speaking at South by Southwest, which is awesome. It's literally one of the world's most famous conferences. I think I went back there and I went there in 2019, I want to say, and I had a blast and like, I just kind of went there and uh, there's so many people, so many presentations, but being selected is still a very big deal. But first, tell us about NFT NYC. You got selected to be speaking there because that, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I applied. I'm hopeful that it was a few things. You know, I bring to the table a podcast that's got legs, right? It's been going for two years and consistently. And I also bring to the table, you know, an entrepreneurial drive. But the third thing was the story that I'm going to talk about there. And it's kind of going to be like a strategy session to help individuals and businesses understand if their brand needs an NFT. Like, how will it navigate in Web3? So, you know, if you're a business and you sell, maybe you've been direct to consumer and you, ha- and you sell microphones or something like that. Does your business need it? And understanding how you might utilize um, an NFT to, to grow and build an audience there. Maybe that one's not the best example, but like say your clothing, you have clothing um, and you have like sneakers, like really cool sneakers and somebody buys with an NFT and they get the digital avatar, which is now their PFP, which is their profile picture. So they can show the world that they're wearing your kicks that you created and they own them and they get sent those sneakers. And then maybe the brand down the road has some sort of fashion show in New York City and Times Square. And they invite you to come and wear your kicks 
and they do a big, huge picture on the steps, like in the middle of Times Square or something like that. And you're part of it. Or they create some sort of dance, like a flash mob in the middle of Times Square, and you get to participate in it. Like, I think there's ways to create experiences and utility and talk about how brands can grow. And that's what I pitched. And I'm hoping that that's what resonated. No, I, I love that. Um, well, you, you said you, you did officially get selected, right? So make sure I'm not. Yeah, for NFT NYC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> so you I did. Resonate, it's official. You, you, mean, you mean resonate with the audience is what you're refer- referencing to. Um, well, I think, it, I think I resonated. I'm hoping that the people who chose me saw like, you know, maybe the heart behind what I want to talk about. Um, so I, I don't know what the decision making, like what the criteria was, but maybe it was a few things. Okay. That makes sense. And, and yeah, we'd love to hear more about, uh, getting selected to speak at South by Southwest. Like what, what was that process? What would that look like? Um, technically you're, as you mentioned, you're one for one, you have a hundred percent selection rate for speaking there. Cause you said you applied back in 2020. Of course, we all know what happened in 2020. And then you applied again this year and bam, so you're a hundred percent. So tell yeah. us uh, how, to, how to do that. <laughs> so um, again, you know, it might just be where I was at. Um, they were looking for representation in their, in the media industry. And I had, my book at that point, I didn't have the book in 2020. So maybe like it was a blessing in disguise for me that I wasn't ready for it. But um, by the time 2022 came around, I had the book. Um, I had mentored hundreds of people and it was a good fit. So I got to mentor um, businesses and uh, individuals at the show. I actually had like five people from Ohio University students, which was really cool for me because they're so imaginative and they're so um, excited about what they're doing. It's like a different energy. Um, But I really enjoyed uh, mentoring them and some businesses while I was there. So it was a great opportunity to talk about um, how podcasting can, um, help a brand. If the brand, if you're talking person, you know, like to build them up, um, so they have more credibility in the industry that they speak on, uh, or a business, if they want to be seen as thought leaders and, uh, want to build partnerships. So, at South by, I was a little bit more in the production podcasting realm than I was on NFTs at that point. Interesting. Um, and, and it sounds like one, one of your favorite experiences of being a speaker at South by Southwest was interacting with, with the college students. You, you said they were the, the most excited about being there and brought the most energy to the event. Yeah, they were, they were really awesome. They were just I don't know. Maybe it's something about Scripps School at Ohio University. I don't know. <laughs> maybe there's something in the water there. Um, I'd love to speak there, actually. Uh, the students just were um, totally engaged, asked really great questions. And um, they just, you know, they had a certain energy. It was really nice. But the businesses were really cool, too. Like, um, I spoke with this one business that is getting into the 
um, compliance market around name, image, and likeness, also known as NIL, in the sports industry and specifically uh, for like college, uh, high school college students, because laws have been passed now that they can monetize their name, image, and likeness. And they couldn't before, like all the universities made money off of like March Madness, but the athletes didn't. Um, So uh, I got to talk to some interesting business people about how a podcast might serve their work. So that was kind of cool too. I love the business strategy piece of it. That's sort of my background. So. No, that's very cool. Um, and w- what about, because uh, the other thing too, you know, navigating South by Southwest is a whole other animal. Like, like I think I use an app you have to try and figure out, you know, which attendees it connect to, which sessions to go to. How did you go about setting a, an agenda for going into South by Southwest with an attention, um, knowing how to plan your days? Um, how did you go about making the most out of your South by Southwest experience, I should say? I love that you asked that question. I, th- I think that their website was a little clunky for me and some people kind of wrestled with that too. I think maybe their app was a little better. But what I had done is they had scheduled all of my um, time with people that I was meeting with. Um, each person that I spoke with, like I had a block of time with. So... I had that already built into the calendar, which was really cool. And then I had a few people reach out that couldn't be there over the designated time that was allotted for the, for the media industry. So I built them in um, after. And then what I did is I, I went through all of the keynotes and I went through all of the content um, by putting in what interested me. So I figured I was speaking more to like podcasting and thought leadership when I was there. So from a learning perspective, I wanted to attend shows that were feeding my knowledge around Web3 person NFTs because I love to learn. So there's people who know far more than I do. And I wanted to show up in the room and hear what they had to say. So I built all that in. And I'm not shy. I get up close as soon as it's over. I get up front. I introduce myself. And I've invited a ton of them to the show. And I already um, have edited a few podcasts that were from speakers there and have made some relationships with some really cool people like from Dapper Labs and Block Party and some really cool um, speakers that were there. and. Um, it was really worthwhile because I divided my attention and um, I also got interviewed by a few different people when I was there. So that was kind of exciting. And I just built it all in. Um, I just, I was like a sponge. And then I got to see Dolly Parton and and stuff like that. Like, and I got her NFT. So <laughs> there was a lot of oh, fun stuff too. There you go. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't think I got the chance to make it to any live performances, but um, you know, did did she perform for the whole event, or was it for an exclusive party only, or how did that how did that work? It was exclusive. I got into all of these. I so my ticket was paid for as a speaker, and I got into all of these exclusive events. 
So I got in to see Dolly, which by the way, it was the first time she ever performed at South by Southwest, which seems odd. Yeah. Don't you think she would have been there every year? Yeah. And I got into an intimate uh, performance with Brene Brown and Priya Parker talking about her new book, Atlas of the Heart. Um, I got into all of these like really exclusive things. I don't know how that happened. I think I just really got lucky or maybe it was <laughs> bad. I don't know. But well, being a speaker I was, is a big, big perk. I was so excited though. I was like a groupie. <laughs> I was like a total <laughs> fan. So yeah, I loved it. I loved it a lot. Oh, and I liked amazing. actually the Brene Brown one. She was speaking with Priya Parker, who is the author of The Art of Gathering. And that was a book that was written a few years ago. And I've gifted that to anybody in the event industry that I've ever met because it was such a great book. So actually, you should probably get that because being in the event industry, I think you'd really appreciate her work. Yeah, I'll also make note of that. The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and while we're on the topic of books, yeah, I'd love to dive into that a little bit too. So tell us, I mean, yeah, being a published author, being a published podcaster, being a professional speaker, they're, they're all amazing. So tell us about your journey of, of writing your book, Is there a Podcast? So I wrote the book quickly, actually. I had launched my own podcast and I had done it in three weeks. And I took a ton of notes. I went to YouTube University. There was no social audio at this time. Okay. So Clubhouse didn't exist. Twitter spaces didn't exist. So you had to like do your own research, watch YouTube videos, whatever. So I launched it. And at about episode 25, there was a parting of the ways of my relationship with the person I was had created it with. And I realized I didn't want to stop podcasting. I wasn't sure if I'd still retain culture factor. So I went back to all my notes and I wrote myself a how-to guide. And when I was done, I was like, I have to share this. Like, I can't keep it for myself. Like, it was comprehensive and it was from the heart. And more importantly, it was by someone who wasn't in the industry. So none of... You know, like if I was an audio engineer and I had done it for 10 years, if I tried to go back and write how to edit a podcast, a lot of it would be intuitive. And I think it would be hard to break down the process at, like so that it's just like step by step. And, I, and I'm not saying that it can't be done, but I'm just saying like for me, it, it truly was step by step. And I used like three methods to edit on GarageBand. And my first 25 episodes were all edited by me just doing that. So I felt like it was really tangible. Like it was the zero to podcast experience. Everything I put in there was simple to the point. I didn't over embellish because I write content for a living. Like I write articles for, for I ghostwrite. So like, I know like you just gotta be like really clear when you're, you're talking and I accomplished that. It's about 60 pages and it's every chapter gets you closer to iTunes and you can launch in as fast as you can work. And the second half of the book is a journal. It's empty with a, just a little bit of motivation in there. Uh, so you can keep your notes and keep everything in one place. 
So that's how I did it. Yeah. And, and how did you make it an Amazon bestseller? It's amazing too. You know, I don't know. Like I definitely posted everywhere. At that time, social audio had really kicked in, like Clubhouse had kicked in. I didn't go on it till January of 20, oh gosh, maybe 2021. And my book had just launched. So I created a club called Zero to Podcast after the book. And I went on there and I mentored people a lot. I just kept opening up the room and helping people and people bought the book and then they would take a picture and send it to me and I put it on Instagram and then they would go to Amazon and they would write a review. And, you know, if if I could say thank you to everybody, I would. And if I could give anybody heads up, like if you buy a book that somebody has written, it is the holy grail. Like if you can just write a little review and same for podcasts, like it's the only metric we have. And it's the only thing that drives more engagement and puts us in front of Amazon or iTunes or wherever it is we're trying to be seen. And it's like the smallest gesture you could make in 30 seconds And it goes a long way. So like Andrew has his new podcast. So just don't just subscribe, like take the time to hit that five star, take the time to scroll down and write a little review. Even if it's a sentence like great content, Andrew, or great guests, it makes such a difference. It's small and it's meaningful. Yeah, no, it's just like, you know, my fiance, Salisha, she's obsessed with Yelp. And uh, if Yelp doesn't have any good reviews about a restaurant we might go to, she's like, we're not going. <laughs> it's true. Like, we don't realize how much we rely on it. Like, mm-hmm. I say to people all the time, like, subscribe to my... All right, so subscribe to Culture Factor. I might as well say that. But yes. share it with somebody too and write a little review. Like, some the all these small things that people do they really add up for the independent creator like you, like Salisha, like myself. So we appreciate it. We appreciate you. (laughs) Of course. Like you said, you know, it goes back to every opinion counts, you know, people love, um, you know, having that no like and trust process expedited by having other people write reviews and going, Oh my gosh, like Holly's the best host ever and the, and the best, uh, podcast producer of all time. Um, and people go, Oh, well, in that case, I better listen to culture factor and I better start learning more about yeah NFTs and the emerging web three market. So I, I definitely agree. Yeah. Obviously if you're listening in now, uh, definitely uh, give us a like and subscribe for both those shows. It'd be much appreciated. And I love how you mentioned Holly as well, that you, you did a great job. I, mean, I know the, the clubhouse journey, you know, I don't know whether it's still going strong. I think I saw, saw a stat that like it was the top show on iTunes. And then for some reason it dropped pretty fast, I think because of the lack of recording feature, but various other elements and more, co- more competition. I'm not sure, but I love how you still went above and beyond to help people and just saying, Hey, thank you. If you could you know, give my book a review, that'd be awesome. Cause it goes back to, we talked about getting the show. Like you can't just make something and then cross your fingers and hope that people will <laughs> t- take part of it. You have to go into actively promoting it, actively serving, actively saying, Hey, I'd love to help as a thank you. If you can just help promote this or read this, that'd be awesome. And, and it works for you. And so how do you go about managing your time with that of like, you know, choosing between going on Instagram or Facebook? What do you say to who? How do you say it? Like, tell us more about that strategy. 
You know, that's the hardest part. And I think I said a little bit in the beginning, I alluded to the fact that if you spread yourself too thin, you dilute your effort and you get burned out. And that happened to me. Like I'm guilty of it. I didn't know what to do. I just started out. I'm like, damn, I need a page everywhere and I have to go post everywhere. And the way you post on LinkedIn is very different than the way you post on Twitter or Instagram because LinkedIn's long form content. And if I'm posting for the Culture Factor page and the Holly Shannon page, it's a different voice, right? One is from the umbrella of a business and the other one is the umbrella of the person. And then you go on Twitter and it's the same dance. And on Instagram, maybe it's more fun and light and it, you know, now they optimize for video, but before it was pictures. So I think you have to like choose how you want to promote, like where you enjoy yourself the most. As time has gone on, I've learned how to become more efficient at doing them, but it's not easy. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of shortcuts you might be able to take and I haven't done it. Like there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about the millions of downloads they have, but I don't pay for downloads. And those people pay. There's bots. They go on Fiverr and they pay to have all these followers. My followers are authentic and they're a small and mighty community. I don't care that it's not gigantic, but these are people who are really engaged. There's no bots in my community. Not one. I don't pay for ads. I don't pay to play. I don't do any of that. But it also comes at a cost because I have to be present. I have to be present on Clubhouse, on Twitter Spaces. I have to write from the heart. I have to put together good content. But content's kind of my background a little bit, right? Building, helping build out brands is my business. So I'm comfortable doing that, but it doesn't mean I don't get exhausted from it. And so what I would say to people is find someone who can speak in your voice if you don't have the bandwidth to do yourself before buying ads and buying in all of those pay-to-play type of things where you get bots because you're it's temporary. You're not really building up an audience, people that can come to your show live, who can interact and write a real review and give a real five-star rating. You got to put the time in if you really want to build something special. That's just my personal opinion. No, I, and, and, I, and I love that. And you know, and obviously there's there's two sides of every story, you know, in the sense of like, you know, some people only build businesses organically. Some people do leverage paid advertising and paid ads to help grow their business. And it, it goes back to, you know, people use different methods. But what I love about, you know, being able to say, you know, all your listeners are real people, they're authentic. Tell us about some of your favorite stories or thank you emails you received from some of your listeners of like the content you provided. Like I'm sure it's always helpful and heartwarming. I know it's one of the top things that help prevent podcast burnout or show burnout is just hearing from your audience. Are there any stories uh, that stick out to you of people being appreciative of your content? So, you know, it's funny. They come out of the strangest places. Like I'll be on Clubhouse or something. And I'll notice like a message in the back channel. And I got this one woman, she's a nurse in Toronto, 
And every once in a while, she sends me this message in the back channel. Hey, just listen to the latest episode. Keep up with the good work. I really love what you're doing. And it's come a couple of times when I was so burnt out and so tired. And I was like, wow, like when something like that happens, like, you know, that even though they might not be super vocal all the time, your community, they're there, like they're listening And I just launched a podcast with a client and it's so hard pushing them out of the nest, especially when you really like them. You just want them to stay and write little notes to them. And this just happened the other day where I was listening to her podcast because I wanted to make an organic post about her work. You know, like I helped her build the podcast, but I wanted to remark on what I listened to, like what she did actually build. And I was going through her show notes and she put a little in the show notes to me and she never told me she did that. Like, so that was pretty she epic. Put a what in the show notes? She put a little thank you to Holly Shannon, my zero to podcast coach. And then she put my website in there and I was like, I got chills. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, Aww. it's pretty crazy. Like that. And I posted that on Instagram. Cause that really, you know, that got to me. I loved it. No. And I love how, and that goes back to, you know, when you are writing a review for someone or giving them a, a star rating, like, you know, go back to being authentic and just, and putting yourself out there and just saying thank you because people like Holly are reading them and are paying attention and are appreciating them. I am. And so I love the importance of, yeah, showing gratitude, showing appreciation for content creators and just being able to, to be part of that. So that, that that's so amazing. Well, I, I love that. And, and tell us what is next for, for Holly Shannon? Like what, what are you working on as far as, you know, the, the podcast development, as far as your speaking brand development? What is your end game that you're currently working on? So I always have my hands in a lot of things. I would say I would like to speak some more and I will be uh, open to that if a show is interested in having me there, whether it's speaking on, um, you know, NFTs and emerging technology or uh, branded podcasts for businesses. Um, I would love to do more in that regard because I feel that I can share a lot. And I think actually it'd be really cool to do some sort of almost like clubhouse room where you had just a room full of people and they can just ask questions like in real time and just get into the strategy side because what I've learned is we learn from each other. And, you know, the person, like when you're speaking in a room, those people are there to hear on a particular topic. But when you help them workshop their idea, there's someone sitting next to them that is helping. And you can never get more granular when you speak. Like you can't really do that. It's not by design. I think that'd be a really cool way to set up a speaking environment, even if it was like 30 minutes and you use just a few people in the audience as an example, obviously not everybody, but I'd like to do more speaking. I am working on my NFTs. So I do have, you know, culture factor NFT.com I'm working on. And I do have nftexperiences.io. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to take my business strategy work into the NFT communities and maybe head in companies in that respect. Because I come from events and experiences and I think it's an interesting combination. So I'm hoping I can apply my 
skill sets. Um, and probably my overarching one, which I would say is a, you know, a little bit of AQ and EQ because I adapt how I need to, but I, I think I have that emotional and empathetic quotient. So I'm hoping I can find a way to merge it. That's probably a lot of information I just gave you, Andrew, but I'm a little, I do a lot of different things. I'm, I'm always trying to see what's relevant and what's culturally people are looking for and what's happening in the zeitgeist. And I like to be relevant. Relevant is good. <laughs> relevant is good. I, I love that. Let's see. And, and uh, I have a few questions left here as, as we wrap up. Some of the other things I want to know is, in your opinion, going back to the theme of rapid results, what do you think you could do faster or better than 90% of the world and why? Oh my gosh. I'm really good under pressure. Really good under pressure. I've had a lot of things thrown at me throughout my life. And I can act in the moment. And I can give you a simple story where like I had a bride at a very high caliber wedding, very exclusive wedding. They bought out the whole property for the weekend, ridiculous six-figure event, and the wedding cake didn't show up. So like I can act under pressure. That was like one incident. On a personal level, I'm the same way. I had well, a house fight. I'm sorry. Wedding cake. What'd you do when the wedding cake didn't show up? What, what happened? <laughs> oh, so I contacted the person who claimed they showed up with the cake but did not, and put them in motion at that point in time to supposedly create a second cake. And while they were working on that, I put our brand new pastry chef to work. Um, sent her out into the Shakespeare garden to decimate every beautiful rose and bring it in to decorate the cake with, because when it arrived, it looked like a five-year-old made it. And yeah. I extended the happy hour, put a ton of Vouve Clicquot on my expense account and continued the cocktail reception for an additional half an hour to buy some more time. And Pico, that's the champagne, right? The champagne. The the order was to the bartenders and the servers: do not let a quarter inch or more disappear from the top <laughs> of the bride and the groom's oh champagne glass. Because they still didn't so know about everything at that point, right? They did. They had no idea. They had no okay. idea. Uh-huh. So I kept mm-hmm. topping off. It was an exceptional day. I said mm-hmm. to them that I would love to extend their cocktail hour. It was gratis. It was just too beautiful a day. We do not have a client coming in after you. Have the whole into yourself. Be ashamed to waste this gorgeous day. And yeah. I just kept giving them more champagne till that cake Smart. arrived. <laughs> so that's how I put out that fire. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you got the bakery to quote unquote, make another cake or it probably wasn't another cake. So I forgot to make the first cake. And then you, and then you were able to decorate it with roses. And then everyone was so um, drunk. Good spirits they, didn't the champagne. Know. <laughs> yeah, they, didn't, they didn't know that the cake didn't look anything like the one she asked for. Probably didn't even taste that good, but they didn't care at that point. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. I love that. And then you said you had a personal story or, or just. Yeah, like, I, you general. know what? Yeah. I had a, a real fire. I had a house fire 
And I had to mobilize and handle that situation in the moment. So I'm, I'm very good under pressure. I can handle that very well. And actually, you understand this being in the event industry. I mean, I was in it for a long time. So there's always something happening that you have to take care of in the moment. And probably, and you'll probably agree with this, like 90% of it is like how you deliver it. It's your EQ. It's your white glove moment. It's your five-star service. If you can talk to that person and, you know, work through it, they become legacy clients, right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I do take pride in going above and beyond with customer service and just like going the extra mile because I know how much people appreciate it because mm-hmm. yeah, it goes back to you want to build that brand, that community of people who love serving each other and want to stick around for a long time. And so I agree having good skills of knowing how to act under pressure is definitely an elite, <laughs> elite thing to and have. And you do it. You do it. I've yeah. watched you do it. It's amazing. Like not everybody can, but you do it. And that's why you are the one and only Andrew Weiss. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do my best. I have great mentors along the way. You know, yeah, I work with Chris Kermitza. So he's, he's, he's great. Done two, he's, he's done 2,000 events over 10 years. So learning from him is a big help for he's sure. He's a rock star. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of reminds me, um, I saw the Michael Jackson play in New York recently, and I was still super inspired by this quote where Michael Jackson, you know, he was studying James Brown, all these other elite musicians and his notes to himself were study the greats and be greater. And so Mm. just kind of knowing there's always more to learn, but people have a good foundation of what you can learn from as well and being able to apply that knowledge accordingly. So with that said of uh, applying knowledge and acting well under pressure and being amazing at book publishing, um, podcasting, speaking, Holly, how can people get a hold of you? How can they contact you, work with you, uh, be in touch with you? What's the best way to do that? HollyShannon.com. Come see me. I can build a branded podcast for your business. Uh, I do understand how businesses work from having been in corporate for so long. So I understand how to shape that and and work with startups too. So it's kind of fun. And um, I would love to speak if you need me. And uh, just go to hollyshannon.com or subscribe to my show. And in the show notes is a million ways to reach me there. I love it. And the final question is, if you, if people could have one takeaway from this interview that you want them to know about, whether it's like life lessons, whether it's acting upon things, overcoming fears, acting well under pressure, what's one takeaway you want people to have from this episode today? I'm a very impulsive person and I definitely jump into a lot of things that interest me. So I would say stay curious, act on your curiosities and see where they take you. I love it. I love it. Stay curious. All right, everyone. We'll see you all next week for another episode of Rapid Results. Uh, Make sure to connect with Holly Shannon at hollyshannon.com and we'll see you all soon. Cheers. Thank you, Andrew. Welcome. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.